Hey everybody, welcome back to the Garden State of Hockey, and of course this is a weekend episode. We're recording this on Friday, so it's the day before the Devils honor the 2000 Stanley Cup champions against the Dallas Stars, very fittingly so, and that's going to be a great ceremony tomorrow for everyone to catch up, and when you listen to this or when this is posted, it'll be that same night. So, my name is Dan Rosell, and I'm joined by John Fisher. John, are you looking forward to that event? I am. I'm looking forward to seeing the alumni. I'm looking forward to getting a ring. And I am hopeful to see a victory so the Devils can actually win a week for the first time in quite some time. Mm -hmm. Or more specifically, since the beginning of the year, since that was the last time they did it. Right. And uh, as it is time to celebrate the 2000 Cup Championship, I've uh, prepared a very appropriate quiz for you. Now, this isn't so much of a game as it is straight up a quiz. No. I guess you can call the other ones sort of quizzes, but I have 10 questions for you about the 1999-2000 New Jersey Devils season. Oh, goodness. Now. Uh, (laughs) This is, oh, goodness. I am already looking forward to this. Hey, don't even worry about it, because a lot of these answers I'm sure you can work through yourself, but we're going to do a look back at the 1999-2000 season. Just one fun fact I want to drop before we do any of this, and as a potential reference point for a later question, who knows, that's the fun. The Buffalo Sabres were the 8th seed that year, and they got 85 points, so my how things have changed here. <laughs> yeah, thing, things have, well, they didn't have three-point games. Everything was, back then, you still had ties, mm-hmm. and those games were just straight up, you get one point each, no matter what. Yeah, so the, the bottom two spots were 88 and 85 points, and then the first two out were 84 and 83 so mm-hmm. it just gives you an idea of how important those extra loser points have been recently and how that's kind of skewed the standing. So that all being said, just wanted to drop that there. But I have some questions that begin first with the regular season, move on to the playoffs, and then there's a few miscellaneous ones as well. So, John, are you ready? I am ready to get exposed on the Internet. <laughs> well, OK, that has a very different meaning on the Internet. But yes, sure. Let's do it that <laughs> way. Um Here we go. Looking back at some greater times in Devils history, I want you to give me the regular season goals leader for the 1999-2000 New Jersey Devils. Okay. Let me work this out. I know it's not Alexander Mogilny because he did it the following season. Mm -hmm. The Devils acquired Mogilny in 2000, if I'm not mistaken. That's right. It was uh, with – I think he played 12 games for them that season. Yeah, he – like a lot of guys that were traded in, he didn't play a ton. So who led the team in goals? I'm going to say it was Patrick Eliash. Patrick Eliash is correct. He scored 35 goals to That's lead right. the team by 10 over Peter Sikora, who ended up in second, despite playing seven more games than Eliash. Yes, and if I'm not mistaken, that was Eliash's 96-point season. It, you are mistaken because that was his 72-point season. The next yeah, one was, was his 90 it was the following point. season, of course. I'm already mixing up the, <laughs> you know, the halcyon days of the New Jersey Devils. Well, it's a bit of a tricky one, right? Because this season was not as successful in the standing, is not as successful from a production standpoint as no. the following season, but the end result, obviously, is the ultimate success. So, I don't know, you get that trade-off, but... That's a question to be answered later, because I also have regular season assists. Which devil led the team in that category? Mm. Let's see. 72 points for Eliash meant he would have had 30, as I try to do math on the podcast, and mm-hmm. will embarrass myself, so I'll stay quiet. I, I'm... 
there's like three names that are coming to mind here. Okay. I want to say it's a defenseman. I want to say it's I want to say it was Scott Niedermeyer. Okay, so your guess is Scott Niedermeyer. I'll tell you right away, it was not a defenseman. It was actually rookie Scott Gomez. So ah, that's right. He had his rookie, his Calder year. He yep. had 50 assists, didn't he? So you got the Scott part correct. He had 51 assists during the regular season. Yeah, and and I think that was his season high in points, like in his career, his Calder 70 year. 70 points there, but who led the team in points in the regular season? I want to see, you already told me Eliash had 72 points. Right. I think it was Eliash, actually. You're correct. It was indeed Patrick Eliash, the points leader that season. And the final category, which, just as a spoiler, I'm going to ask you all these same questions about the playoffs, but penalty (laughs) minutes in the 2000 regular season, can you name who it was? Who was the devil's leader in penalty minutes? And there's a lot of good candidates on this team. Yeah, I'm going to go with uh, failed fashion mogul Christoph Oliwa. Christoph Oliwa is correct by a whopping 78 penalty minutes over Bobby Holik. And I believe after this season, he tried to start a, a fashion line called KO. <laughs> I believe which is you. appropriate I'll... since those are his initials and, you know, he liked to throw down. Yeah, and uh, he threw down to the tune of 184 penalty minutes that season. Yep. So there's all the regular season leaders. Now let's move to the playoffs. Now this magical run, we all remember, or a lot of us remember, that the Devils were down 3-1 to Philadelphia before an inspiring speech and a comeback. And if you didn't know that, you probably know that now because it's been all over their YouTube channel for the last week as they prepare for this ceremony. So without further ado, who was the Devils leader in playoff goals that season? Playoff goals. I want to say, and so I will say, mm-hmm. I want to say it was, I want to say it was, the problem is, is that I'm, I'm like running through four different names right now, three of which are on the same line and the other one is <laughs> not. Yes. <laughs> and, and, and we've, we've talked about all of them except for the one who scored possibly the most important goal of the playoff run. That's right. And arguably the greatest Stanley Cup winning goal of all time. Definitely the greatest goal in Devils history. Yeah, but I think it's all time. I mean, let's think about this. It's double overtime. You're on the road. How about a no-look, you know, spin-around backhand pass to the slot for yeah. a one-time? Like, that is just, like, magic. Like, that's the sort of thing you try out when you're, like, down two goals. It's the, you know, second period. And you're like, it's December. Let's just try things out here and see what happens. And like, on the road, too. Yeah, you don't do that in, you know, a sudden-death overtime in game six, no less, where you know if you blow it. You know, game seven is just like a coin flip at that point. Right. Anyway, so I'm going to say it was Jason Arnott. Okay, it was Peter Sikora. So Dang your, it! It was line player. <laughs> your instinct was entirely correct. The top three were indeed Sikora, Arnott, Eliash. Mm. As, as the best line in Devils history. And in that vein, who led the team in assist during that playoff run? <sighs> I'm going to guess it was Eliash. It was indeed Eliash with the most famous assist in Devils Mm -hmm. history. Yes, the most beautiful assist in playoff history. (laughs) And playoff points, who were the leaders or leader of that? And I just spoiled it a little bit, but there were two players tied at the top. Two players tied at the top. Great. Um, Well, Eliash was probably one of them if he led an assist. Mm -hmm. And... I want to say Sakura was tied with him if he let in goals because those guys fed each other. So it was Eliash and Arnott, actually. They oh, each great. had 20 points. And you're right around there with that line, the A line. It's 
it's really something special that exists in Devils history. But really, this playoff season, they got 20, 20, and 17 points in 23 games played. So very, very impressive run from them. Oh, absolutely. And Elias also scored the second most important playoff goal since they they showed that, showed that last night before the Nashville game of him. His his epic stick lift on Dan McGillis in, in front of the crease to uh, beat Mr. Boucher. I think it was Boucher or was it Chechmonic? I All these terrible flower goaltenders just run together. Uh, <laughs> Anytime yeah. you can get a dig in, I appreciate it. <laughs> Always got to take a dig in at the Flyers goaltenders. Uh, don't get me started on Carter Hart. Uh, oh, no. Well, then we got one category left, and that is playoff yeah. penalty minutes. Playoff penalty minutes. Okay. I'm fairly certain Olawa did not play in the playoffs very often. You I think. are correct. He didn't play yeah, in the playoffs I, at I'm all. Fairly certain management said, okay, son, no no more. You're going right. to watch. <laughs> If you're lucky, you'll get a ring. Um, I'm going to guess in 2000, I'm going to guess it was Danico. Okay. Danico had 14 penalty minutes in the playoffs, which was half of what the leader had, which was Claude Lemieux in his second stint. See, I would... Okay, I, I knew Claude Lemieux was on this team. Mm-hmm. He didn't play as much of a role as he did in his first Stanley Cup. Run no, no, you mean the Conn Smythe winning role? Yeah, the one where he and where he, you know, for all intents and purposes, gave nightmares to Keith Primo and Yarmir Yager and uh, Adam Oates and anyone who would listen. Kennedy, yeah, basically <laughs> any any he was matched up against the best in '95. Right. Um, no. Um, Okay, Lemieux had the most. Okay, Mm -hmm. I honestly thought it was going to be Danico. I'm actually surprised he only had 14. Mm -hmm. And the last two questions I have about this season, there were four Devils that were named to the All-Star game, and three of them represented Team North America, and one of them represented Team World. Can you Ah, name the four Devils? That's right. Back Back then, they had the North America versus World game. That was their intent to uh, spice up the East versus West format. It was like almost World Cup of Hockey-esque, except for being an all-star game, no one really wanted to be competitive. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. Uh, They still had that feeling of people wanted to try, but nobody wanted to play defense and definitely not throw any hits. No, exactly. All right. All right. In terms of who was named, okay, I'm pretty sure for the North America side, Brodeur was named. Yep. I'm going to say Niedermeyer was named. He was not. He wasn't? Nope. Really? Yep. Really? Scott Niedermeyer? Oh, oh yeah, yeah. This is the very same. He was not named. Actually, if we're talking defensemen on North America, it was Scott Stevens. So you're shooting the Scots again. And there's two more I players, mean, one North America, one world. Okay, well, I'm going to guess for the North America side, the third devil was Scott Gomez. Yes, indeed. And I'm going to guess the world player was Eliash. Yes, so that's Brodeur, Eliash, Gomez, and Stevens. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, I grew up loving Scott Stevens, but I figure around the 2000s, you know, Stevens is, you know, kind of getting up there in age. And Niedermeyer was the alpha dog on the on the blue line that that in those years, in those uh, last few years with New Jersey. I'm actually, excuse me, I'm actually surprised it wasn't Niedermeyer. Yeah. Yeah, and then my last question about this season, given what you know, given what I just told you about the conference standings of the Buffalo Sabres, the Devils actually had the second most points in the conference despite finishing in the fourth seed because of the division format back then. That's right, they had three divisions. How many points did they have? Oh, (laughs) how many points did they have? Yep. Do I get a tolerance on how many points I can be off by? Plus or minus two because that was the margin (laughs) between them and the team that had the most. Oh, 
which was the right. Philadelphia Flyers. Yeah, it was the Flyers because the Devils played them. They played that game seven in Philly, so we know it wasn't New Jersey. Oh, goodness. How many points did they have? Let's see. If 84 was enough to just barely make it. I'm trying to think who – and you also in 2000, you had the expansion Columbus Blue Jackets, who were terrible. So, you know, a lot of free points from those ga- from those teams. I don't uh, think the they I- were in the Eastern Conference. No, that's right. They weren't. They were mm-hmm. in the West. I stand corrected. They joined, They both joined West. We had the Atlanta Thrashers, though. That's right. They joined the year prior. Mm-hmm. So that was the – okay. I'm working this out. I'm sounding it <laughs> out. I'm talking it through here, Dan. I'm going to guess – the Devils had 110 points. Ooh, okay. So you shot a little over the tolerance. The Devils actually had 103 points, oh. which was good for second most in the conference to Philly's 105, above both Washington's 102 and Toronto's 100, and five right. away from Florida's 98. So, you know, by the current alignment, I think they'd still be a wild card team, which is the craziest. Oh, no, they'd be second in the conference, so they'd be yeah. uh, pretty much in the same exact spot, right? Yeah, they would have probably played Washington in the first round mm-hmm. instead of Florida that year. That's right. Oh, yeah, yeah, based on the uh, divisional alignment. But, yeah, that's some fun facts and figures from the year 1999-2000, one of the better seasons in Devils history. Granted that Absolutely. the next one was the best in terms of raw counting stats and really team reputation. They're you know defending a championship at that point. But this season where they actually managed to get the win in the final – and, you know, reasons for celebrating this year, not only that, but it's the 25th anniversary of the 95 team. That's some quick hits about that season. And I wanted to transition that into another conversation that was had on The Athletic. And now this is going to be a little bit of an interesting one because I'm going to leave you and myself with a homework assignment for next weekend, if that's all right with you. Oh, homework. Okay, uh, Teacher Roselle, what are we doing? It's the fun homework because what Corey Massasak did was he talked to a panel of experts on the New Jersey Devils to try and put together an all-time team featuring 12 forwards, 6 defensemen, and the obvious goaltender from Devils history, try and make the best combined Devils team. And the people on that panel were Ken Danico, Andy Green, Tom Galitti, who everyone knows, I think, at this point, who exists on Twitter, and Greg Wyshynski, who, again, same deal, um, big Devils fan, works for ESPN, now used to work for Yahoo. So he asked them to take away their 12 best forwards, their 6 best defensemen, and Martin Brodeur, essentially, and a backup. <laughs> Um, so yeah, pencil, pencil that man in. I think Marty's a a safe bet. Right. So what they came up with on average, the forwards ended up being almost the entire A line, except Gomez was subbed in on that first line for Arnott. So you got Eliash, Gomez, and Sikora on the first line, Parisi, Muller, and McLean on the second line, Taylor Hall, Jason Arnott, and Claude Lemieux on the third. John Madden, Bobby Holik, Sergey Brillen as the fourth line forwards with some extras, uh, some healthy scratches perhaps, and Zajac and Pandolfo. And the defensemen that the panel listed were Stevens, Niedermeyer, Rafalski, Danico, Driver, Fetisov with an extra of Colin White. And then the goalies, obviously Martin Brodeur to start, and Chris Terreri was the backup of choice for most of these panelists. Now, our assignment, as is now obvious, is to come up with our best 12 and present that, or best 19, or 20 rather, if you include the backup goalie, and present that uh, next week. Is that all right with you? Because I, I want to give you some time to at least think about it and justify your picks, because obviously all four panelists had different picks. These were just the average yeah. in terms of votes that these players acquired. Right. Now, one question. Mm-hmm. Are we building the team to succeed in today's game, 
Oh, or that's succeeding back then. Because here's the thing. Like, if you want an example of how much hockey has changed, like, the nobody in the NHL really has a checking line anymore. Mm-hmm. But if you go back to 2000 and you go back even as far back as 2010, mm-hmm. you still had teams that ran third and fourth lines like a checking line or a quote-unquote energy line, basically a more defensive-oriented unit to match up to make those tough matchups. Power for power has really come into vogue over the past five, six, seven seasons. Mm-hmm. And the Devils, at their best, at their peak, you know, all these players had checking lines at the wazoo. Like, so it's a little stunning to me that, you know, the panel, so to speak, you know, all comes up with a fourth line of collectively, including Bobby Holik, who was who made his uh, name being one of those bottom six you mm-hmm. know, beasts, John Madden and Sergey Breland, who also supported that. But at the same time, like if you were building the team for like today, like it's it's really challenging to find find a spot for those guys because their skill sets are much, much, much less desirable than what it would be. So let's say greatest devil in their era relative to their era. Okay, so regardless of whether we're not we're not here to build a competitive team. We're here to build an all time team. If we're celebrating nostalgia in the 1999 2000 season, this feels like a worthy exercise because a lot of these names will have existed on that team. Absolutely. And on and the teams of, before and after that one as well. I may want to take the laser out and just say, for the defense, just give me the 2000-2001 blue line. Honestly, though. <laughs> I mean, that's fine, too. I just want to give you some time to Yeah, uh, I, 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 I have some names in mind that I think some, some of the panelists <laughs> have forgotten about that I think deserve a little more respect, a okay. little more credence, a little more... Uh, pub, if you will, mm-hmm. but uh, we'll we'll get there when we get there. We'll do that for next week, sure. Well, so that yeah, I wanted to just point out an interesting thing about the backup goaltenders. Matt Laughlin actually broke the tie because each uh, panelist gave a different answer for backup goalie, which tells you how mercurial the whole role is during the reign of Marty Brodeur. But Danico gave Sean Burke, uh, Andy yeah. Green gave Corey Schneider, Tom Galiti mm-hmm. gave Chico, and Wyshynski gave Chris Terreri. No love for Scott Clemenson, Kevin Weeks, Corey Schwab. <laughs> uh, I'm trying to remember all Hedberg. the names right now. Craig Craig Billington, Johan Hedberg. Uh, yeah, I guess so. Johan Hedberg. Oh, uh, he Jan, Jan Denis. Yep. Uh, <laughs> Eddie, I Lack. Start, I'm <laughs> Eddie Lack. Uh, I'm start John Van Beesburg for a hot minute. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm running Scott low on Wedgwood. Scott Wedgwood for four games. Yep. Four games of Scott Wedgwood, and you know those four games I'm talking about. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, that's what I'm saying. So this yeah. this exercise yeah. is it's a little like not as interesting in gold because the the goaltender choice all time is just so painfully obvious it doesn't even feel like it's worth talking about. Yeah, I mean, you know, you don't want to pull a Charles Barkley at the uh, All Star uh, game pickup game uh, selection show. Yeah, that he overthought it. That's all it was. <laughs> He thought Allen Iverson would be the best. He just left Michael Jordan on the board. Yeah, see, you know. <laughs> it's never worked out poorly for any team that left Michael Jordan on the board. Yeah, it never has. Looking at it you, never. Portland Trailblazers fans, fantastic drafting. Anyway, that all being said, that was just a little uh, trip through to some happier times in Devils history. So just wanted to transition that into you mentioned that we had a question from Twitter as well. So I'd love to address that. 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Um, not sure it has anything to do with this nostalgia party going on, but oh, no. go no, ahead and hit a... us with it either way. No, this is more contemporary, if you will. Mm-hmm. So, as the Devils have nothing much to play for for this season, people are already appropriately looking ahead. Mm-hmm. And we got a question from Omar Arnouk, who asked, or stated... The Devils should extend Nikita Gusev the second he is eligible to to do so. That's Mm -hmm. not a question. That's just a statement. Mm -hmm. Maybe the question is, for how long and for how much? So, thank you, Omar, for the question and statement. Um, First and foremost, he can't be extended until next offseason. So, Mm -hmm. basically, the summer, I believe, is July 1st, yep. He's getting paid $4 million next season. That's a mm-hmm. straight-up $4 million, no bonuses, no nothing, just straight-up $4 million. And it has a modified no-trade clause, meaning that uh, Gusev, if he is asked to be a part of a trade, he can submit an eight-team no-trade list. Basically, you can say, these are the eight teams you cannot trade me to. Yep. So he has a little – I feel like uh, Vegas may be included in that one. Maybe. Maybe not. Depends on, you know – what he's feeling. Anyway, he's an interesting case because he's already 27 years old. He's going to be 28 a week after he's eligible to re- be re-signed. But the really interesting part is what is the current – or rather, who is the future management of this team going mm-hmm. to think of him? Because on the one hand, yeah, his first month in NHL hockey was really rough. Let's be real. Like, he earned the scratchings. He's earned the benchings back then. He really had a tough time acclimating to the NHL game. However, last month and this month has shown that he has played. He has shown that he has acclimated fully and is a very viable offensive asset. And you could argue that, similar to Kyle Palmieri, that he's one of those players that, yeah, he may not be on the team are all that valuable in five years where we're hoping we're talking about playoff teams and maybe contending for championships again. But if you want to get better for next season, and I have a suspicion that's the goal for next season is to be better. It behooves you to, to keep a hold on to forwards who are productive in their late twenties. So Dan, before I give you my answer, I want to mm-hmm. put the question to you. Do you first, first let's assume you're going to extend Gusev. Sure. How long do you do it for, and for roughly how much? You don't need to give me exact numbers. Like, just ballpark it for me. So there's another factor into this conversation that I think has been on display the last two games as well, and that is Gusev is very good at the shootout. Now, that's something that I wouldn't put much stock in, but when you see a team miss the playoffs after they go 0-13 in the things, you're going to want to look to players that can help you get that extra point in case you need it. So right. I think a lo- like a good amount of his value is in the fact that he can perform in that moment, and that in itself is very valuable. He's obviously gotten a lot better as the season's progressed. I don't think they should do anything more than, like, three years, though. If they do anything more than that, I don't know how his age curve is going to be, given that he started in the NHL uh, at a much 
a much older point than a lot of players, a lot of his contemporaries who started around the same time, including Jack Hughes, who the Devils may need to save some money for. But I think Gusev could probably get something like, you know, for what he's produced this season, like three years, six, six and a half, something like that. I think that's a reasonable range. I'm glad you said that, Dan, because I actually agree with you. Ooh. I, think, I think that is fair value for a guy that keep in mind, let's say he hits the open market after the following season for some reason. Maybe the next GM and coach think he's thinks he's not very good or they think, you know, it's not going to be worth the extra effort to keep him around. The agent wants too much money, whatever. And he hits the open market. And provided that he's he continues to play like he has been the last two months, they're going to see a guy that's putting up roughly 0. 0.7, 0. 0.8 points per game. They're seeing a guy that, as you said, he can contribute on the shootout. He can help on the power play. Yeah, the defensive effort isn't always there. The off-the-puck play isn't always there. But he can make some plays that most of your forwards are not going to be able to make. Mm -hmm. And the fact that, yes, he does have some extra mileage on his body since he's played professional ice hockey you know, for several years already. But the difference is that he has a lot to show. He has a lot to prove effectively. You know, he didn't come all the way over to the NHL just to, you know, have a chance at it and be done with it. I, you know, I think he's here for to show that he really belongs here. And I think he has proven that with New Jersey. So for his next contract, it's going to be about, hey, I'm a serious player. You know, I may not be the star player, but I'm one of those secondary scorers that um, you need to pay a lot of money to if you want to get my services. Because mm -hmm. he'll still be under the age of 30. He'll, he'll be close to 30, but he'll be still under 30. And that's always a big factor in terms of getting the big money, so to speak, in recent seasons. So I think three seasons at six million, uh, a six million cap hit. And you can structure the money however you want, whether or not you want to front load it, back load it, probably front load it, to be honest with you. Um, I think that would make the most sense. I think that would be somewhat fair value for what he has done, provided he keeps up what he's doing. And I could say for... As, as one additional factor, Dan, and I can tell you this because I'm starting to work on it for Monday's post, uh, he was one of the Devils best five on five players in January. Yeah, I totally believe that. You can you can see that as he plays. You can exactly. see that you know he slows the play down and picks his head up and makes the smart pass. Now it's been a long time since yeah. you know he was just trying to find his footing in the neutral zone and just losing the puck and he knocked off every so often. Right. He now knows the pace at which he has to play, and that's been manifesting because Blake Coleman's having the best scoring season of his career. There, yeah. you know, the issues that they were having at the beginning of the season when he was paired with Jack Hughes may not be in existence anymore because now Gusev at least gets back and plays defensively responsibly. Obviously um, he uses to more <laughs> of an extent than he did before. Absolutely. Well, yes, but the big thing is that Gusev is creating a lot more offense to help offset the defensive shortcomings. The weird well, thing not is not only that, that, but they need someone, they need to pair Jack Hughes with someone to facilitate that as well. And I think well, yeah, now exactly. that they're both a little more adjusted, it's going to be very different than when they were both possession black holes at the beginning of the season. Well, that's true. Yeah. When Gusev and Hughes were li both literally figuring out how NHL hockey worked compared to where they played previously. Mm -hmm. um, the thing is, is that that Zajac line in general, they still give up a lot. It's just mm -hmm. that they're, they're out creating what they're allowing, which in the bigger picture in the longer run, 
you know, it's not ideal, but it's way better than just getting straight up outscored or outpossessed or outshot or outchanced. Uh, the numbers are much better in that regard. Now, granted, the Devils as a whole in five on five have been pretty bad in January, but that's a different discussion for hmm. that post. But Gusev is on the higher end of this, and that just shows as another factor that he's not just this guy that is just riding somebody's coattails to success. He's actively involved in creating the offensive situations that help turn the tide and help make comebacks possible and keep the team at least somewhat competitive looking in games that maybe a month or two ago they wouldn't have been. So, And it doesn't feel like the shootout's a death sentence anymore. Well, that was actually true before this, this past week. But yeah. Oh, yeah, but he's been one of the biggest factors of it because i think oh yeah he's, he's what, five, five for seven, seven? that's yeah. crazy that that's not just crazy that's utterly fantastic i mean in general as a rule of thumb if you're above 33 percent uh in converting your shootouts you're doing great you mm-hmm. know i think i don't i have to look it up the uh, old stand the old gold standard used to be juicy joking in and he had a, a like a 44 or 45 percent uh, success rate in his career so i'd have to check to see who the real career leader is right now but yeah, I think if you're above 33%, you're awesome, and Gusev is uh, well above awesome. So, you know, as you said, those are extra points in the standings, and if you want the Devils to get better, guess what? You got to go out and win some win some shootouts. You can't be like the Boston Bruins and, you know, just crush everybody. And then if you're crushing everybody, then, yeah, you could afford to go 0-7 in shootouts. Yeah. You're the Boston Bruins. It doesn't matter if you drop seven points because you're ahead of everyone else anyway in your division. The Devils do not have that luxury. They're not at that plateau yet. They're not on that platform. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so, so Omar, going back to your point, that's what we would go with at this moment. Three, it six, also depends on... Million. Like, it depends on what happens in the next month, too, if you think about it. Well, yeah. I mean, again, there's a lot of other moving parts, not just with who the Devils are going to trade before February 24th, but also who the next head coach is going to be, who mm-hmm. is the next GM. And more importantly, what's the owner's edict here? Because at the at, let's be real here. Tom Fitzgerald may, the, may be the interim GM, but I think Josh Harris has made it pretty clear it is what well, rather strange press conference when Cheryl was fired a couple weeks ago was that – He's not happy with how things are going. So I, right. I, have a, I have a suspicion he's going to be a lot more vocal internally to say, this is what I want. Can you get me what I want? Because I mm-hmm. want people to get me what I want. I, I think the outlook for any sort of Gusev contract changes dramatically with whether or not they sign Vatnin as well. Really? Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of potential mo- – like, it, it's weird because if Vatnin doesn't get re-signed, they – if this edict is to win as soon as possible, to turn around as soon as they can with a new coach, new GM and everything, I'm guessing that they're going to want to spend some free agent money on a defenseman. Like a not insignificant amount on a defenseman, too. True. That is which, true. Which would make it tougher to stomach a goose of extension if they do indeed believe that what they have in the AHL and seeing this latest Binghamton run is something that they won't replace Gusev's production necessarily after next year, but it's something that they could maybe do it or they think they can do it by committee and instead spend the money on the defenseman. I can definitely see that path. But if Votnin gets some sort of contract that's more aligned with his, his skill set, because, you know, he's not one of those top tier defensemen, but no. he is someone who is very serviceable and someone who could be a valuable piece for the Devils. They just wouldn't be able to spend as much on an outside defenseman if they give Votnin um, a contract as well. So, it just makes things a little murkier depending on what they want to do. But if 
you know, Gusev does have another year. So if he continues to produce at this rate, it's going to be hard for them not to justify any sort of extension. But again, he has to want it as well. He yeah. has to, you know, he's he's older, so he doesn't even have to do the restricted free agent, I believe, right? No, he'll go straight up to UFA. So it, there's, again, there's some, and that's another factor. I know we kind of glossed over it, but we don't know what Gusev really wants to do. I said that, you know, I'm pretty confident he's not here in the NHL just for like a season or two just to try things out and see what happens. Mm-hmm. I think he he's already won championships in the KHL with Scott St. Petersburg. He's already demonstrated he's great in that league. So, you know, there's definitely a competitive aspect of wanting to show that he can not only hang but be one of the better players in the NHL. And given his age, you know, I think he knows as well as anybody that uh, – you got, you know, if if the playoffs do not appear to be in his future and he wants a Stanley Cup, it may not be in New Jersey. Uh, or at least I just appreciate soon. that he's very much endeared himself to this team in a very tough situation to come in and play your first North American season. It's impressive that despite all the things that have gone on, he still managed to get better over time. So that's a very positive sign. Yeah, he hasn't made any noise about wanting to run back to Russia or trade me no. right now or anything like that. Now, granted... Again, I there's a lot of moving parts, but I think getting back to Omar's question, I think three seasons and six million um, on average for each of those seasons, I think is fair for what we're seeing. As provided that Gusev keeps it up, and, and the last two months of Gusev is the real Gusev and not the guy from October. Right. Um, so yeah, thanks for the question, Omar. We'd really appreciate it. And if you've got any more questions as we approach that fabled February 24th. We'll, we'd love to hear them. And obviously there's going to be a lot of news coming out um, over the next couple of weeks as the Devils try to find a new direction of some kind. But uh, is there anything else on the docket for today? Anything you want to mention before we wish them luck um, Saturday night against the Dallas Stars? Well, the one thing I really want to highlight here. See, here's the thing. On February 10th, around that time frame, Elaine Nazardine would have been behind the Devils bench for about as many games as John Hines has been for this season. Mm -hmm. I think it works out to maybe like one or two games over, but it's not by much. Mm -hmm. Anyway, I'm planning to do a look, a statistical look to see what's different between the Devils under Hines and the Devils under Nazardine in this time frame, just to get a real sense of like how much has changed. Because there's been this sentiment, this feeling, this thinking that, you know, the Devils are still bad, but they may be a fun bad. They may mm-hmm. be, and they may be, you know, they're they're competitive. They're working harder. They're not giving up on games, you know. But at the same time, you know, we're talking about a month where the Devils just finished January at four, five, and two in the month. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, you know, they're no closer to where they were. I can say there have been some significant changes in terms of like what they're generating. Like they've absolutely had some a real uptick in offense. The problem is that the defense has legitimately gotten worse. Right. So I. I this is this is a lot to say. Um, this is a lot to say that things may have changed, but I don't think they're really changed for the better. And most of all, the larger conclusion that that I had way back in December was that I don't think Nazardine is the guy. And I'm every game I'm being more and more convinced he's not the guy. Right. Like the results aren't there. The performances they may be better in some ways and maybe more enjoyable to watch on some level. But at the same time, this is still the same team that gets its teeth kicked in by Columbus and Washington. And, you know, just as much as they've increased their scoring, they've also given up way more goals and way more big chances. And, you know, there doesn't seem to be any um, 
what's the word here? Any recourse. There we go. Uh-huh. Any recourse for like somebody not even doing something that's not even systemically related, like picking up your man or cleaning up a loose puck or just finishing a pass instead of just like, you know, leading it into space where the other team is able to keep it in on the zone. It was something I kept thinking of during the Nashville game most recently, but it's been a problem not only under Nazardine, but also under Hines. And it begs the question of whether or not the Devils need uh, a meaner coach or maybe not meaner per se, but a uh, tougher coach mm-hmm. um, since clearly what's going on is not working that well. But anyway, I've got that coming up, and but I'm telling you the early returns here are um, different, but not better. Yeah, well, <laughs> that's I guess how that, I guess that's how it's just going to go. I guess, you know, if you're interested in lottery balls, hey, you know, you're you're probably doing a jump, you know, jumping for joy at that. Yeah, and that's honestly, you know, something to be expected given that Nazardine was working under Hines for a very, very long time. And I, I can't imagine that things would be entirely different. I can't imagine that the things he learned would be that different from Hines himself. So uh, it makes sense what you're saying. And I think he's going to be swept up in that whole new direction that the owners want to take this thing in. But I'm looking forward to that analysis and looking forward to that celebration of the 2000 Cup team. It'll, like I said, it's going to be a good thing to see all these players maybe it'll stir up some sense of pride in the uh the current devils and they'll give us a win tomorrow but also you know they look at that blueprint of that team going forward it's good to have players that were there still be associated with the team like i'm sure brodor's input will be invaluable eliash has been on the ice for a couple of practices and the gusev change happened when he was scratched and sitting with eliash in the top couple rows watching the games and he's been markedly better since then did Eliash have everything to do with it definitely not but he may have given him some advice in terms of adjusting to North America in general we don't know we don't know what that conversation was but you know he's as good a person to have as any since he is the team's all-time points leader not a bad thing to have around for practices just in case and hopefully they can you know bestow some of that mentality that got them to the promised land so Looking forward to watching that game, looking forward to talking about it with you next week. And like I said, if you have any questions, concerns, suggestions for the podcast, please feel free to let us know. That's it for me. Anything for you, John? That'll be it. All right. Awesome. And with that being said, thanks again for listening and let's go Devils. We'll see you guys next week.